0: Everybody wants to be happy. Everybody sets out, I think, in life and wants to enjoy it. Everybody desires to be happy. Nobody sets out for the goal, I want to have a sad and miserable and depressing life. Everyone wants to be happy, but it appears that everybody appears to be unhappy what do I mean everybody wants to be happy well I have to go no farther than hallmark Christmas movies right now I have to admit I watch them and I have to admit I do cry during them as well Um, but hallmark movies are all the same right there is somebody that is single, that is divorced, that is a widow or a widower, and their, their life is, appears to be just totally miserable, and they're just waiting for someone to come along to make them happy. And so you go through the storyline, and just when you think they're just about ready to get happy, oh, then something happens, and then you have to wait till the end, and then there is happiness. Now, as I've gotten older, you know, for times, I, I would be, want to be that person in, in the movie that's sort of the character that is seeking happiness and finds happiness in a, in a person. But as I've gotten older, I find that the, as I watch the movie, I, my heart has changed a little bit. Sometimes I'm picturing uh, not only Michelle in the movie, but I'm picturing my kids in the movie or I'm picturing myself coming along and helping the person to find happiness because I know everybody wants to be happy. But again, everybody appears to be unhappy. I've shared many times I love sports and I have found great happiness in sports. Now it comes in watching sports. But when I started off, I, I love to play every sport and I'll just focus in on basketball because basketball was a sport I truly, truly loved. And I, decided to keep on playing basketball because I thought it made me happy. But over the course of time, playing basketball, it was no longer about playing basketball, it was suddenly about making a team. And if I would make the team, oh, then I would be happy. No. Then it was about starting and being in the starting five and that would make me happy. No. Then it was about scoring more points or being the star of the team. That would bring me happiness. No. And started to realize that the more and more I played, I I sort of fell out of love of the game because I was using the game to become happy. And I see many of us, including myself, we set out to be happy, but we go along the path, and it's the wrong path because we have made happiness the goal. And happiness should never, ever be the goal. It's going to be a byproduct. So happiness is not tied to people, possessions, or pleasure. Many of us, including myself, we think that somebody is going to make us happy. Let's just even start with marriage. When, when people come into my office and I, I say, well, why do you want to get, ha- get married? And they say, oh, because this person makes me happy. Or what do you want from your marriage? Oh, I want to be happy. I find out people, they, they want to have kids. Why? Because they think kids will make them happy. And that lasts a little bit, right? <laughs> but then we want our kids to, to get married because we think then they'll be happy. Or sometimes we think if we can get the right job and, and get the right employer, then we will be happy. Or maybe it's, we're an employer and if you just get the right employee, then we will be happy. Or maybe it's tied even to church. If, if just the right people are at church, then I'll be happy. If we get the right pastor, then I'll be happy. And we tie everything to people And we say, that is where happiness comes. But it's not tied to people. And it's not tied to possessions. A lot of times people say, well, I play the lottery because I want to be happy. I want to get all this money. Or I want to raise. Why? Because I'll be happy. Or I want a certain home. Why? Because I'll be happy. I want a certain car. And then I'll be happy. But happiness is not found in people. It's not found in possessions. It's not even found in pleasure. You know, A lot of us, we think, especially sexually, we think, oh, that, that, that something sexually will give us happiness. It, it, it usually doesn't. Sometimes when we tie it to food or drink or some sort of addiction and we do it because we feel we'll be happy. But in the end, we're not happy. So if happiness is not tied to people, possessions, or pleasure, what is it tied to? Happiness is tied to a person. Happiness is tied to a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is not just a savior. He's not just Lord. Jesus Christ is a king. And what we're going to see this morning is that Jesus Christ in his person, he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And if you want to be happy and God has created us for happiness and for joy and to be cheerful and glad, we need to understand it's tied to a relationship with King Jesus. It was... Great this morning, and I don't know if you, you caught it, during all the songs that we were singing this morning, there was something tied to Jesus being the king and his right to, to rule and reign in our lives. And so as you think about joy and you think about joy to the world, and the hymn that we're based in the series on, joy to the world, let earth receive her king. The earth's joy, the earth's happiness, my joy, your joy, your happiness is tied to a person. It's tied to the words that Jesus spoke and the works that he did on our behalf. Happiness is tied not to people, not to possessions, not to pleasure, but it's tied to a person. But it just doesn't stop there. Happiness is also tied to a purpose. You see, being a king means he has a kingdom. And we don't use this terminology much anymore, but a king has a kingdom. That means he has something that he reigns over, he rules over. That means that Jesus is the king, he is our authority figure. He calls the shots. And for a kingdom to be in effect, there are rules in the kingdom. There is a ruler who is Jesus Christ and there are subjects. That's all of us. And Jesus is the king. He has a kingdom agenda or he has a kingdom plan. And there is a purpose behind that. It's interesting. And sometimes we put on the the back there on the information desk, we put this one cry prayer guide. And we've, we've tried to promote praying every day. And it's interesting, on December 1st, it, it talked about praying about King Jesus. And it talked about revival is tied to us understanding that he has a kingdom. And that he has a reign. And the more we let him reign and rule in our lives, the more revival comes so this is what we want to explore today is happiness is tied to a person king jesus and happiness is tied to a purpose to a plan to an agenda and then for order for the people that i put up there and the possessions and pleasure and for all of that to work the purpose comes first and that is the goal and the byproduct The happiness with people and possessions and pleasure, that is the result or that is the benefit of having God's purpose in our lives. I want us to open up this morning the Bible to Luke chapter 1. But before we get to Luke chapter 1, I I want us to also review last week so we can get this idea. Um, I just want to read real quickly Psalm 98 again so I'm going to read Psalm 98 it's real short nine verses and then I'm going to go to Luke 1 so you can pick what direction you want to go but we need to understand that happiness and joy is the way God has built us and created us and again it's tied to a person and his purpose Psalm 98 verse 1 says oh sing to the Lord a new song For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And this is where we looked at it last week. It says make a joyful noise to the Lord. Literally make a happy noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth in a joyous song or literally a happy dance, a happy song, a victorious song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn make a happy noise, a joyful noise, a glad noise Notice it says, before the king, the Lord, let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. The rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy. Before the Lord, he comes to judge or to rule or to reign. He will judge the world with righteousness and his peoples with equity. Now let's turn to Luke chapter 1. That is the foundation. That is what they were hoping for. The Israelites were hoping for the king, the Messiah, to come and to establish his kingdom. They, they just didn't know it was going to be in a little baby. They didn't know it was going to be in a miraculous fashion. They just thought that the kingdom was going to come in power and authority. In Luke chapter 1, we have two births, two miraculous births. Two stories of joy and gladness and cheerfulness. It's sort of two hallmark stories in a way. Uh, An older couple that couldn't have a child, and God appears to them and says, you're going to have a child in your old age, and that is John the Baptist. And then God appears to a young woman, and eventually to a young boy, and says, you're going to have a son. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26 Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says in the sixth month, talking about actually Elizabeth's pregnancy there. That's what it means in the sixth month. Earlier it says she was five months and she was keeping quiet because she was excited that she was pregnant finally. And it says in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And what I love about this story is, and we need to put ourselves in this story, God is showing up in history. God is showing up in a city. God is showing up in a a small town. God is showing up in a place that is unexpected. And notice what it says. It says there was a virgin there. She was betrothed or she was engaged. She was preparing to be married. To a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. It it doesn't even mention her parents' name because she's sort of insignificant. She's, She's sort of a nobody. She's a young girl. 28 says, and he came to her and said, greetings. We'll see in a little bit. It also means rejoice, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. I I, I know for myself, I would be scared. I'd be fearful. What what is going on? I'm a little perplexed. She tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. Don't be anxious, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. Notice how it describes who this person is that we're talking about this morning. He will be great. Greatness is going to refer to his kingship. And he will be called the son of the most high. It will also refer to his kingship. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Again, kingship. And he will reign over the house of Israel forever, kingship. And his kingdom, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. This is just wonderful news for us as Christians today. We get to look back in history, but we also get to anticipate the coming king and the coming kingdom. When Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World, again, he wasn't thinking about this first advent, the birth of Jesus. He was thinking about the second advent, the return of Jesus to establish his kingdom. And just so we're all on the same page, as you read the New Testament, the kingdom of God is both present yet future. It is here but not here. It is of another world, but it is also of this world. It's referred to as the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And the ministry of Jesus started off. The kingdom of God is at hand. That means it is present. That means it is ready to go. So it is here. Yet Jesus says, I I will drink and celebrate the Lord's supper with you in the future when the kingdom comes. So how does the kingdom and the king... How does it all relate to happiness? Here's what I want us to see in this miraculous story of God intervening in history and appearing to Mary who represents all of us, I believe, and it represents all of our stories. Here's the first thing we need to understand is that happiness is a blessing, not a goal. Happiness is a blessing, not a goal. As I mentioned early on, all of us sort of have the goal to be happy. We, we get married to get happy. We, we, we have kids to be happy. We, we have grandkids thinking that will bring happiness. We go on vacation hoping that that will bring us happiness. And for some reason, we have turned this all around and we have made it the goal to be happy. But as we will see here clearly that happiness is a blessing. It, it is a gift from God. And just so we're all on the same page from last week, when, when I talk about happiness, I'm also talking about joy. I'm talking about gladness. I'm talking about cheerfulness. I'm, I'm talking about a demeanor where there is an inner joy and passion and excitement for life. And, and God wants us, again, to be happy, but we need to understand that is not the goal. That is the byproduct of the king and his kingdom. So what do I mean happiness is a blessing, not a goal? We need to go back to verse 28. Verse 28. And you need to see something. When Gabriel talks to Mary, he, he, he gives her three bits of truth. Three golden nuggets of information. The first one is greetings. If you would see it in the Greek, you would notice, oh, that's the word rejoice. That's the word be joyful. A lot of our translations have translated it greetings, which I understand because it appears to be a greeting, but it could also be sort of a command, rejoice, be happy, Mary, be glad, because I got some great news that I want to share for you. Notice what he says. He says not only rejoice and be happy, but he says, oh favored one. Literally, it means you have been anointed with grace. God has taken pleasure in you. God has smiled upon you. And then I love how this is all tied together, where it says the Lord is with you. You see, our happiness and our joy is tied to the presence of the Lord. We'll see in just a second, Mary didn't do anything. She didn't set out that morning for for her goal to be happy and to be joyful. She was just a young girl. Doesn't even mention her parents. Maybe her parents are even dead. Doesn't talk about her family. Maybe she's an only child. Maybe she's a deserted child, who knows what's all going on, but she's young. And God shows up and says, I want to bless you with something. I want to bless you with happiness. You see, again, I I started off telling the story about me playing basketball, but all my endeavors, I've pursued them because there is something inside of me that does want to be happy, wants to be joyful, But often I I find I get frustrated and confused because, again, I have switched and made it a goal. Rather than looking at joy and happiness as a gift, a blessing, it's something that I don't deserve. And God has bestowed it upon me. When God shows up, not just in history, but when God shows up in your life, we all should be doing a happy dance. Because the God who created this world, who sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, who rose again so that we might have life and have it more abundantly, he's the one that wants to bless us with joy and happiness and gladness. So happiness is a blessing, not a goal. Here's a second truth that's closely related to this. Happiness is total grace. Not works. You see, sometimes we think we we, we need to work for happiness. That, that, That there's something we must do, or somehow we need to deserve happiness. Actually, when happiness comes, even in relationships with others, it's a pure sign of grace. Notice it goes on. In verse 29, it says she was troubled and she was confused what this blessing of grace and joy was all about. But notice what she says, what they say in verse 30. Then it says, Mary, you have found favor with God. Again, three times in this passage, I think the word for grace is mentioned. And we talk about grace as it relates to our salvation. We talk about grace as it relates to the forgiveness of sins. We talk about grace as we don't deserve what blessings we get from God and others. But what we need to also associate was when the biblical word of grace appeared, it automatically meant not just grace, but it meant the blessing and the joy and the excitement and the passion that was tied to the grace of God. You see, in all likelihood, Mary was probably 12 years old. I was doing some study, and I know in the past I've mentioned how young Mary was, but I wanted to go back and review, and so I got out this big, thick commentary on the Gospel of Luke, and I was reading about Jewish marriage. And for the most part, Jewish girls got married when they were 12 and a half years old, and it was the time that that they were becoming mature and, and had sexual desires and all of that. And so a lot of times they got engaged when they were 12. They, they were spoken for. The boys were probably about 14 years old. And so we're, we're talking a very, very, very young couple. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm God, And I'm going to decide, how am I going to bring the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords into this world? I'm probably not thinking a young girl. But God's ways are way different than our ways. And he does, as the text goes on and says, God does the impossible. He makes things possible and things that we think is just totally impossible. And he, he changes the course of history through this young girl. But again, notice... Her parents aren't mentioned. She's literally a nobody from nowhere. She doesn't deserve it. Uh, People talk about, if you read about Mary, they talk about her lowly state. She didn't have money, she didn't have riches, she didn't have status. And for me, this is good news. For all of us, this is good news that, that happiness is not tied to where we are on the social ladder or the financial ladder or where we're at even sexually or what gender we are or what race we are. Happiness is totally by God's grace. There is nothing in this passage where Mary is doing something to deserve it. Happiness and joy is total grace. They say, Mark, you're just... Taking advantage of the Mary story, now just let your eyes go over to verse fourteen of chapter one. Very same story, very same situation. Notice in verse fourteen, he's talking to Zachariah. He's talking to him about Elizabeth being pregnant. In verse fourteen, it says, "You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth." Well, what is Zachariah doing to to deserve this? He's doing nothing. It says, for he will be great before the Lord, verse 15, and it says he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord your God, and he will be be before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. The joy and the happiness and the gladness of what God is doing, even in marriages and with children and all these things that we think will bring us happiness, it's all by God's grace. By God's grace. Salvation is by grace, but joy and happiness is by grace as well. And here's where I want us to just focus our thoughts as we try to put a bow on this present of joy and happiness, happiness is God's agenda, not my agenda. So often I have that agenda where I want to do things my way. And as, again, Jesus being the king and coming to do a kingdom, notice in verse 34, it says, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom there will be no end. We as Christians should know this as we pray the Lord's prayer. We pray for your kingdom come, your will be done. The kingdom of God is present and future it's political and spiritual but it's a it's about the reign and rule of Jesus Christ in our lives and sometimes I I go back and forth with one of my favorite hymns trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey and well that sort of contradicts that happiness is a blessing and it's a it's God's grace but there is also the other truth to it that If we trust and obey, it is true, we will be happy because we're living according to God's agenda and not our own agenda. If you're in Luke, I would encourage you to go back just to a book called Matthew, the first New Testament. And so just a couple books back, Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. If you want to know what God's agenda is, I would encourage you to go to the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about the kingdom and what what the kingdom looks like and who's going to participate in the kingdom and how we should live according to the kingdom and how we should live according to the king. And right before he gets ready to to conclude, it's 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 really a long message, right towards the end of it, Matthew 6 verse 33, notice what he says, he says, That we as Christians, that we as Christ followers, we should seek first his kingdom. Notice in 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Notice verse 34, it says, and do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Well, what's Jesus trying to tell us? He's trying to say, If you're going after your own agenda, you're going to have a lot of anxiety and fear. If you're wanting things to go according to your plan, there's going to be trouble. You're always going to be worried about your finances, your marriage, your kids, and all of that. Not that you don't have a responsibility in that, but it's a kingdom responsibility. And that's why he says we should seek first his kingdom. Now, if you go back, and I would encourage everybody to go back this this week and read Matthew 5 through 7. It'll only take you probably about 15 minutes at the most, if even that. Probably 10 minutes to read Matthew 5 through 7. You'll read about the kingdom. And just to start off in Matthew 5, verse 2, Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, he says, blessing, literally, be happy. Happiness are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then he says, happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed and joyful are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed and happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy and blessed are those when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Notice what he says. He says, rejoice, be happy, be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. You see, when we're not living according to our agenda, we're living to God's agenda, there is... Not only joy in this life, but in the life to come. So as you go through Matthew 5, you're going to notice he's going to have things to say about what a kingdom agenda is. You see, a kingdom agenda says, I'm going to be done with hating people. You know, the Old Testament law said you shouldn't murder. And Jesus is going to say, it's going to, I'm going to take it one step further. In the new kingdom, you need to love. You need to forgive. You need to reconcile. You need to restore a relationship. And even if you're cussing somebody out or calling them a name, you've taken it too far. And that's not the way the kingdom is going to be about. That's a new agenda. He says, you know, in in the kingdom of of God, there's going to be purity and our relationships are going to be different. Again, the Old Testament law said don't commit adultery. And now Jesus is saying, Don't even lust after a woman who's not your wife. Don't lust after her because you've already committed adultery with her with your eyes and in your heart. It's a new agenda. The prayer is different. Our finances are different because it's a kingdom agenda. It's sort of interesting that Seek First Your Kingdom comes after a whole Section on anxiety and worry. And a lot of our sadness and our depression is tied to anxiety and fear and a troubled spirit and being stressed out. And I'm not saying if you, you just dedicate yourself to seeking first the kingdom, life isn't going to happen where there's no more stress. But eventually it's going to get less and less because. We're living now according to God's agenda. And we're praying differently. We're praying for his will to be done, not our will to be done. So here's what I want us to see. And I'm just going to give us four quick points. And I would encourage you maybe to write them down or come see me later and we can take pictures of these. If the earth received her king, there would be more joy in the world. Hopefully you believe that. The problems we see in our world today is the fact that we haven't received Jesus as our king and let him rule and reign in our world. And if we would let him rule and reign, there would be more joy in our world. But this is also true. If you receive Jesus as your king, you're gonna have more joy in your world. Sometimes you come to church and you think, oh yes, I need to make Jesus my savior, I need to make Jesus my lord. Very very rarely do we say we need to make Jesus our king, but yes, you need to make Jesus your king and let him have authority and, and rule and reign in your life and you're gonna have more joy. Let, to receive him as king means to live according to His purpose and His plan. You see, what I've been trying to communicate—that there is a plan and a purpose for our lives—but it's His purpose and His plan, and it's not our own. And so, what will happen if we live? If I get this last one, if we live according to His purpose and plan, it benefits your pleasure. What I'm trying to to teach myself, and hopefully this maybe will be helpful for you. Basically, we're on two paths. I think all of us are say we're on a path of happiness. But the problem for myself is I'm on this path of happiness, but again, it's a path of Mark's agenda rather than the King's agenda. And in order for me to transfer to more happiness and joy. I got to go down a different path. It's still a path of happiness and joy, but it's more a path of following the king and allowing him to to reign and rule in my life. And that's a transfer. And it's a a decision that I need to make on a daily basis. Is Jesus going to be king today? Or is Mark going to be king? And I pray that all of us will consider the path we're on and understand that happiness is tied to a person. It's tied to his purpose for our lives.